before we begin today's sermon. Let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how fortunate we are, how blessed we are, how meritorious we are to be in the presence of the noble triple gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We are here to achieve something, something that can only be achieved in the presence of the noble triple gem, and that is why you have brought yourselves here. Something that seems can only be achieved when you receive the Noble Triple Gem. And that is true. However, once you have received it, it is instilled within your minds and your hearts. And then from that point on, you flow with the stream till your end. So this is the beginning of that end. We are all on a journey, a journey to a final destination. Unlike any journey you've ever made before, this is the only journey that will ultimately matter. And so as we prepare ourselves this morning to take another step forward on that journey, to allow the waters of the Dhamma in the stream that is the Buddha and the raft that is the Sangha to carry us to our liberation, our salvation, our freedom. Let us renew our oath, our affirmation, our pledge by making veneration to the Buddha, he who is the undefeated one, the infinitely merciful one, the boundlessly compassionate one. He is not our savior, but he is our father. He teaches us the path, the path that he can only teach for us, but the path that we, each and every one of us, must make a firm determination to follow. And as we chant the Namaskar, that is what I want you to think about. You are renewing your oath, your pledge, your allegiance to your salvation. So let us now take a moment to do that. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Freedom is a word that gets thrown around so freely, so liberally. So casually.
It's ironical. Ever since man felt that he was captivated, entrapped, enslaved, man has always fought for his freedom. You have heard of tales of freedom fighters, their legacies, their sagas. People will sing hymns, write poems. And ever since the dawn of time, people have been fighting for freedom. In a few weeks' time, we'll be celebrating the anniversary of our freedom. Hmm? Won't we? It's a big day for people in our country. And similarly, other countries, other nations will have what they call an Independence Day. And on this day they celebrate, they commemorate the heroes who fought for freedom. But seldom do you find the names of the real freedom fighters. This is why I say the word freedom is used very casually, so liberally, so freely that I think people have lost the meaning and the, the essence of what freedom is. If you really ponder about this concept of freedom, folks, people fight for the freedom to be able to choose freely. Ultimately, that is what freedom is. The freedom of choice. Ask yourselves, isn't that what our freedom fighters fought for? Whether it was for the freedom for blacks, black people, to be amidst and amongst the white people, or whether it was for the aborigines to be among those who came later. Or perhaps it is for one race to be in the same nation and call it their own. Or maybe it is for women to have the right the same rights as men. People have always been fighting for their freedom. It seems to be in our blood. That is why people are willing to give blood to fight for freedom. They forget what blood represents. They forget what their heart represents but they fight for their freedom. So very soon, a large gathering of people will be around Independence Square 
and others will be in their homes, in their schools, at the workplace. Perhaps they will hoist the national flag ceremoniously. They will they'll have a gun salute. 21 rounds or something, can't remember. To tell the world, look, we have won our freedom. We are sick and tired of the English and the Portuguese telling us what to do and what not to do. Where we could go and where we couldn't go. What we could call ourselves and our children. We were sick and tired of those who came to our land and conquered it and began to call it theirs as if they had inherited it from their mothers and their fathers. Didn't they know that we were the rightful inheritors of this land? However way you divide and separate these groups of people. They'll always be fighting for their freedom and they'll always be celebrating when they feel like they have won something. Now I speak to you like this because I believe you're a, a different caliber of individuals. On the 4th of February, when Independence Day comes, yes, we will all sing the national anthem. We will all stand up and pay our respects to the freedom fighters. For those who fought for our nation, our independence, our country. We will remind ourselves how grateful we, need, we must be because to this day we have that freedom. But don't you realize that at the back of our minds, always wondering, always fearful, when that freedom might be taken from us again. Because when the Portuguese landed and they left us, and people thought, good riddance. Then came the next lot. And when they came and left, then came the next lot. And when they came and left, then came the next lot. And when they came and went, then will come the next lot. And the next lot. And the next lot. And then the then the, the next slot. What people don't realize is they were free to begin with. Now we talk on different dimensions to what the conventional, traditional, 
the average Joe might refer to as independence. So, one, someone who listens to this talk will wonder, what the heck is he going on about? They might even wonder or think that I'm actually mocking our freedom fighters. They'll think, how ungrateful this monk. Give him a pair of keys. Why? What happens when you give a monkey a pair of keys? Yeah. How ungrateful. Does he not realize that the reason that he can speak so freely and speak his mind out and stand where he is or sit where he is and do what he wants to do because our forefathers shed their blood, sweat, tears and their life for us, the future generations. I do, I do, I do. And again I do. But who fought for their freedom? This is the question I ask. Yes, they fought for our freedom. Who fights for their freedom? Because they're long gone, aren't they? The many hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who shed their blood, sweat and tears to leave us a land on which we can walk and roam freely. Perhaps when they laid down their lives or perhaps when they embraced the sword or the dagger or the bullet that stole their life from them and in return granted us this freedom that we so all enjoy and take for granted. Perhaps in that moment they had no hope. They didn't know that this freedom was something that was yet or due to come. Perhaps they had no choice at that moment. 1948, you know, was when that happened. But what about the battle that happened in 1947? Or the one that happened in 1946? Or perhaps the one that happened in 1945? You can't tell me that they, was, they were sure as hell that in 1948 they were going to walk away and give us a free land. So they fought nonetheless. Now who fights for their freedom? Can you tell me that there is more, there is a better way to be grateful to them than to speak on behalf and to fight on behalf of their freedom? Because if that is what they gave us, then it is high time we give that back to them. Perhaps those people who fought for us are amongst you today. Perhaps they are the laborers who toil all day, carry heavy burden, racks, sacks, in the hot sun, out in the streets. Perhaps they are the people who endure the harsh weather and they do back-breaking work, maybe building a place for you to stay. 
Perhaps they're the people, they're the farmers who till the land, who cultivate and give you crop today, food today, on which you sustain your life. Perhaps that's your next door neighbor. But he's not here today, is he? You came here, he's not. Perhaps he's the rickshaw driver who took you to the station so you could get on the train and perhaps he's the train driver. Perhaps he's the bus driver that brought you here. Perhaps he's the policeman who holds a gun in his hand hoping he might never have to use it. Or perhaps he's the soldier whose name you see on the tombstone that says, this man fought for your freedom. Who fights for theirs? See, we talk of a different kind of freedom. We have only ever known fighting for the freedom of choice. I have spoken to you about this a long while back. But I think it is important that we remind ourselves what true freedom is. And no better time to do that than when we have an Independence Day coming up. Are you really independent? Are you really free? Fighting for the freedom of choice is what we've always done. Think about it. That freedom we won so that, as I said earlier, we could do what we like, we could go where we liked, hmm? we could be with whoever we like, and no one else would call the shots. We didn't want the, the Danish to call the shots, we didn't want the Portuguese to call the shots, we didn't want the English to call the shots. We wanted ourselves to be able to do that. See, freedom of choice. The blacks didn't like it that Back then, in some establishments, I'll have you know, they had a board, a plaque on the outside that said, blacks and dogs are not allowed. They didn't like that. Women didn't like the fact that they were not afforded the freedom of choice of who the next president was going to be or the, who, who the next prime minister was going to be or who the next parliamentarian was going to be. They didn't like the fact that they didn't have the choice, the freedom of choice. Say, for instance, if you walk into a restaurant today, right, you'll have a hissy fit if this were to happen. Imagine you walk into a restaurant today Right? In today's day, you walk into a restaurant and the waiter brings you the menu card. So you take the menu card and you say, All right, can I have one of these, please? Perhaps there's a lady. And the waiter goes, no, that's only for men. <laughs> Imagine that for a second. Or perhaps you might say, can I have one of these, please? And then you go, we only serve men here. Women, you've got to go and get it for yourselves. 
Try and play that out in your in your minds. I think that is the day you'll get your first seizure. Hmm? You get an epileptic fit. You said what? You might say. I am just a human being as much as any other and I should have the freedom of choice. How dare you tell me that I can choose something that I can't choose something that the men can? You might ask. We are so fixated on this freedom of choice that everyone feels that everyone should have every right and every opportunity as everyone else. I'm not speaking against that. That is a very conventional, very traditional freedom, freedom of choice. I think we need to commit our lives to something much more, much bigger and a problem that pervades all human beings alike. Because what is more important than the freedom of choice is what? The choice of freedom. The choice of freedom. Think about all the other choices that you've made in your life. You have chosen, you know, when you were younger, your parents made some of the choices for you. And yes, you're grateful that you didn't have to make those choices, but as soon as you become parents, you have to play that role anyhow. For instance, you didn't choose the school that you have to, had to go to, but your parents chose it on your behalf. Now, don't you feel that every child should have the right to go to any school that they like? Don't you feel that they should? Yeah. We like that freedom of choice. Don't you feel like you have to be, you want you know you should be able to live in any part of the country as you like? Yeah. Don't you feel like you should be able to walk into any shop, any boutique of your choosing? Hmm? If they said there was a park hmm? and only young people were allowed. Above sixties. You are too old. To step into this park. Imagine how that might make you feel. And imagine the things that you will say. I built this country up. Hmm? It was my taxes that paid to put this park in this place in the first place. How dare you say that I am too old to walk in here. How dare you say that this is only for the young people and not for me? You know, when we first start, wanted to start this establishment, this monastery, <clears throat> oh, those were the days. Going back a few good years, when Deshakatuma, myself and a few other people got around a room with a piece of paper and a pen in hand, we sketched out what we imagined the monastery would look like. Let me show you what that looked like. Now try and not laugh, okay? I don't mean at my drawing skills. I mean what we wanted to have here. If that was the land, 
This was where we gonna where we're gonna have all our devotees. So that much happened. And somewhere here we were gonna have our dana hall, where people would our monks would come and have their meals. <clears throat> and then round about here. We had a fence, just a wooden fence. On this side, you had the monks in their kutis. Now, don't laugh. Huh? I said, don't laugh. And on this side, we had the no, no. We had the nuns. I said, don't laugh. Devotees, my hat. <laughs> this is what we envisaged our monastery was going to be like. So, we would come in single file and we would join the nuns. Hmm? Oh, how wonderful that dream was. And then we'd walk into the Dhamma Hall and we would sit opposite and then we would have our breakfast and then we would walk into the Dhamma Hall. We would, we would sit down face to face for our meditation sessions. Oh, how lovely that was. And then someone said, wake up. <laughs> I should have listened to my sermon from two weeks ago. <laughs> but then no one was there to tell us that until it was too late. So this was on a piece of paper and then we sent it to Mr. Harsha who is the president of our charity trust and I said this is what we want to do. And he said try again. <laughs> Not least because we were going to struggle to find a land large enough to accommodate Can't you see a, a bigger problem? Hmm? Yeah, but we were blind to that problem. Because we always thought they should have every right. As they do. If we can be here, then they can be here. Why not? Trust me, ladies, we fought for you. If our dream, if our plan had come true, it would have been mayhem. Unfortunately, our plans weren't realistic. Because as much as we live in a land where people fight for freedom, and we are so proud to say that you know we had the first 
women president in history. As much as we we fight for our freedom of choice and we say that you know men and women and everyone should have the same rights, the same opportunities, the same privileges and so on, try and do one of these and see what happens. Saying is one, doing is another. Because in the real world, some of these wonderful theories and concepts, they don't hold water. So immediately when we, you know, we, we did, we, we, we really did. We fought for it. Not with weapons, but we went to the gatherings, we went to the groups, we went to the people and said, why not? Why not? We kept on asking, why not? Is it so bad? We have the Dhamma. The Dhamma is our weapon. The Dhamma heals our minds. And these problems that you say are bound to happen, you know, well, we, we are, when we turn the pages of the Tripitaka, <clears throat> it was pretty obvious that back then, something similar would have certainly, you know, been there. It was only in more recent and modern times that these divisions, these separations had to be more pronounced, more prominent and more obvious. But this is what we had in mind. Today, very different, right? We can't even see them, let alone walk to the Dhamma Hall and have our meals together. So are we really free then? Where is that independence? Where is that choice? Now, this might be an extreme example, but think about think about how you've lived your lives until now. As I said a moment ago, you know, your parents chose your school for you, and if you'd ask them, you know, are there certain schools that only certain children should be allowed to go? They wouldn't have liked that. You wouldn't have liked it. Because it's free education and everyone should have every choice. Right? We fight for our rights. We fight for the right to go and be with other people wherever we want to be. If it's a free country, we have to be able to do whatever we want, be wherever we want, talk to whoever we want, say whatever we want, freedom of speech and all that. You know, You know what real freedom of speech is? <laughs> freedom of speech is when you are free to only say the things that matter and to only say things that are worthwhile saying. People don't understand that. I'll help you understand. People think that getting on a stage and making scathing remarks about someone else or some other party, some other group, and not to have to suffer the repercussions of that is freedom of speech. No. Ask the Buddha what freedom of speech is. He'll tell you, it is Samma Vacha. Freedom of speech is when you don't have to lie. Freedom of speech is when you don't have to say hurtful things to others because hurt people hurt people when you are hurt you have no choice you surrender your freedom of speech think about it 
disagree with me if you can. Think about the last time you had to say something, scorn, make a scornful remark, shout at someone, maybe utter a swear word. I know you don't do that, but you've heard that. People do that. Say something hurtful and then later regret. I shouldn't have said that. Happened or not in your lives? Certainly. Things that if you were given another half of a brain cell, you probably wouldn't have said. But you had to do with one half. Remember those days? Donkey's days. Hmm. Tell me now, you had freedom of speech then? You didn't have freedom of speech. Because you were not free to choose what you wanted to say. There was a fire burning inside. Yeah, There was a furnace. And you could feel that heat. You could feel those sweat beads starting to trickle down your forehead. And those blood vessels start to become more prominent. It was obvious that you were in a fury. And then your fist went like that. And then you thought, I better not raise my arm or my hand, but there's, a, there's pressure inside and I need to get it out. And then when that pressure built up and built up and built up, at one point, you lost your freedom of speech. <laughs> what you said then was not free speech. What you said at that point was something that you had to say because you were enslaved. You were trapped. That was not free speech. So when someone has to get up on stage and say tit for tat, backfire, or, or say something uh, in, in revenge, or have to, has to avenge someone, has to make an equally scornful remark about something or someone that someone has said. You can't tell me that is free speech. Today we are thankful that we have the media where people can go up and just, you know, talk freely. You can express your opinions. Sometimes when people are asked, why do you say something like that? Freedom of speech. You know, saying something like that, that person is going to, you know, he's going to destroy his life. He's going to destroy his personality. He's going to lose all credibility. Why did you say something like that? Freedom of speech. I have every right to say whatever comes to my mind. Because what they don't have is the choice of freedom. Think about it. You're here today because you choose not the freedom of choice, but the choice of freedom. If this is so, so, so important, folks, because this is what sets the, sets the sail for your destination, for your journey. The day you stop fighting for your freedom of choice is the day that you really have won. The day you stop fighting for your freedom of choice. When you walk into the supermarket, hmm? when you walk into the supermarket, don't you like it that they have lots of different things that you can choose from? That is why they make, you know, a, a good supermarket always gives you choices. It gives you choices. But if you walk into a, into a shop or a supermarket and say, you know, do you have this? And go, no. Do you have the other one? And they go, no. Do you have this? No. What do you have then? And we just have this. What man? This is all you got. 
Don't bother going there again because they don't give you choices. See how much we like those choices? When you walk into a, say, a fashion store, hmm? don't you like it when they have like multiple stories? Hmm? Say they had five stories, they have the ladies section, then they have the gents section, then they have the swimming section, huh? then they have the sports section, then they have the kids section. And aisles and aisles and aisles of different things that you can choose. Can't remember the last time <laughs> that happened to me. I didn't choose this, they gave it to me. Remember the last time you went to buy footwear? Hmm? You went into the shop and they said, what would you like, sir? I'd like a pair of shoes, please. What color, sir? Uh, brown. Not just any old brown, sweet brown. Okay. Uh, any particular texture? Uh, yes. Um, I like uh, laces. Um, I can also have some socks to go with that. Matching, please. Matching. Choices, sir. And then they bring you a pair. You fit it. You put it on. You walk up and down a few times. Remember? Yeah. You walk up and down a few times. And you look in the mirror. They give you a mirror to check yourself out. Mm. You got anything else? Yeah, we got something. Some, some at the back. Let me. Let's just go and get you some. Or when you walk into a sari house. Oh, they're the best ones. For my sins or whatever, I don't know. I, had, I also had to endure that. <clears throat> you know, when you walk into, the, into a sari house, huh? do you remember how they greet you? Come, come. Come, madam, come. And then how many do they lay out for you? They embassled you. They make it incredibly difficult for you to make a choice. But you like choice. If when you walked into a sari house, they said, this is the only sari we have. The, all, the, all the others are just different colors, different sizes. All the same color, same sari. Here you go. You wouldn't walk in there again. Just one sari, you wouldn't walk in there again. In fact, you like it so much when you walk in there and it's, a, it's so colorful. There's green and there's turquoise and there's purple and there's red and then there's blue and then there's yellow and then there's white. Oh my God. Oh. Or if you ever walk into a sweet shop. Do they have them here now? Sweet shops? They do? Brilliant. Just what we needed. Just what the doctor ordered, isn't it? Sweet shops. Hmm? Or when you go into an ice cream parlor. Do they have them? Yeah, of course. How can we be without them? And you walk in there and they have all these different flavors. And they have the banana boat ice cream. And they have the, I can't remember those names now. You fill in the name. You fill in the blanks, okay? 
ice cream. Sundays. Yes, and Tuesdays. Choices. We are so precious about those choices. The fact that we have so many choices should speak volumes to you about something is not right. About the fact that something is not right. <clears throat> you know, I want you to live. I want you to live out there. There are those of you who can jump the fence and come this way, but there are those of you who will still have to be out there hmm, until your time is right. So when you live out there, folks, I want you to critically, analytically observe the world in which you live. As much as you might feel that the world out there is not supportive to Nibbana, and sometimes I, even I might say that, it is not supportive to Nibbana, but if you put on your hat, on the, the right hat, the Nibbana hat, the Samma Ditti hat, you will realize that it's screaming out loud, Nibbana. So when you see those choices, how does the intelligent, the wise man look at that? The wise man, the foolish man, first, the foolish man looks at that and he thinks, wow, choices. Because Dua might like strawberry ice cream, but this Dua likes chocolate ice cream. So if the two friends get together and they have to go to the ice cream parlor, they'll choose one that has both options. So, the foolish man would walk in there and go, see, I told you, they have lots of choices. But the wise man will think, why choices? Not what choices, why choices? Such an important question to ask. Live asking that question. That is your contemplation. That will start your contemplation. This is bhavana, your meditation. You can do that while you're at the ice cream parlor. You can do it while you're at the, at the sari house. Not what choices. Ask that question because you have to answer it because in a moment they're going to ask you, what choice would you like today? You're going to have to answer that question. You can't tell them, give me whatever you like. Right? So have, have an answer in mind. But the true question you need to be asking is, why choices? And let me help you answer that question for you. Because, listen, because you haven't chosen freedom. That's why. Freedom of choice is so important because the choice of freedom has not yet been made. Because when you are free... Now you no longer need to pick this or that. What is your favorite ice cream? Do you have? You still have one. All right, I'll save you the embarrassment, just in case. I'll tell you. I'll share with you what my favorite ice cream used to be. I love strawberry. Strawberry.
I I love the fact that if you walked into a restaurant, if I went to a, if my friend's friend's house, right, and they came up to me and asked, "What would you like, sir?" Or my friend said, "Have you had some ice cream?" And I asked, "What do you have?" And he if he had to say strawberry, I loved it. Because I was not free. I was not free, and therefore, strawberry ice cream was an important part of my happiness, because I hadn't chosen freedom. In its presence, I was happy. In its absence, I was unhappy. That's not freedom. The fact that you have to choose something means you're not free. When you have to choose something, you will always fight for the right to choose. Therefore, you're not free. Yes or no? If there is something that you like, then you will always have to fight for the right to choose that. Therefore, you're not free. Because you're always a fighter. If you're always a fighter, you always have to have your shield and, uh, and, your, and your weapon in your hand Right? Have you achieved freedom? No. You're always a fighter. Think about the lifestyle that people have. You know, it's such an important thing today to choose your lifestyle. <clears throat> so much so. Right? It's becoming more and more common now. Right? Even here, and it has been in other parts of the world. So again, you know, please don't think that this is me passing judgment. It is not about which choice is the right choice. For me, the problem is the fact that you have to make a choice. Okay? Sometimes people come up to me and ask, is it wrong for people to be in a, a homosexual relationship? People ask me that question. Is it wrong for people to be in a homosexual relationship? In return, the only question I have to ask is, is it right for people to be in a heterosexual relationship? Answer that, and you have my answer. Is it right, people will ask me, that two people of the same sex are allowed to get married? Because people will fight for the freedom of that choice. So what do you think my answer is? Is it right for people to be able to do that? If, if you keep on asking me what answer will I give? Wake up. <laughs> You're fighting for the wrong thing. But if you go to the cities, right, you will see people holding placards in their hands, walking around, give us our rights. When I see them, I don't feel like going and talking on their behalf or give me a placard as well. I will stand in front of the queue as a Swami Nuhansa. That is not what I feel like saying. I empathize with them. I remind my donkey's ears. I'm reminded of that. I can't look at them in any other way other than out of compassion. I feel sorry, really, that they have chosen to make that fight. This is what I think of on Independence Day. I have a karma stana that I do on Independence Day. I'm sharing that with you. 
the people who fight for their freedom and who have always been fighting for their freedom and who claim to have achieved independence, are they truly and really free? If you buy yourself a nice swanky car, hmm, chances are two doors down, someone's going to look at that and go, hmm, I need to level up. If they're driving that, then I should also be able to drive something similar. Now what will they strive for from there on? To level up with you. They want to keep up with the Joneses. Your name is John, I imagine. They want to keep up with the Joneses. So now they'll fight for that. Look at, just have a think about all the things that they're going to have to do from that point on. The first thing they'll do is they'll go and check their bank account. Do I have the money for this? You know, it doesn't take a full moon. It doesn't take a whole month for these changes to happen. All you need is to see someone driving in a nice car and you think, I want one of those. It happens like that. All you need is someone is to see someone, you know, clad in something stylish, something fashionable, and you think, I want that. Please go back in your minds to those days. Why do fashion magazines, they have pictures of celebrities on their covers. You like them, therefore you must like what they like. That is the formula. You like them because you talk, or they talk words that you like, they, they, they show emotions that you like, you forget that they're acting. That's how they get close to you. Again, this is not me mocking. This is not me ridiculing. And this is not me saying that there's something wrong in the world out there. No, 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 and no again. All I'm saying is, I need you to be mindful of what happens to you. You're the guinea pig here. If you have bestowed upon me the privilege and honor of helping open your eyes to start to see the world from a fresh perspective, then you must allow me to talk to your heart. And you must allow me to talk sense into you. Perhaps sometimes, in words, if you are not, if you don't take wisely and intelligently, one might think that I am mocking the rest of them. No. That is not my intention. I'm simply showing you what's happening out there and how you are affected by it. So why do they have those pictures on the front of those magazines? It is to give you an idol. The epitome of perfection. They show you that. You know, this is what perfection looks like. So when you see that, you want it. If you have young children, you know, maybe teenagers particularly, and we talked about standing out of the crowd. It's a very important thing in this day and age. Right? In fact, your, you know, your street cred, right? your street cred is based on how much you stand out of the crowd and therefore when there's something new, the latest, the greatest, you have to be in it. That might be a car, it might be clothes, it might be the new hat, or it might be the new mascara. You have to be in it to win it. And then you will fight 
for the right to make that choice. See how see where that got you. See how far that took you to real freedom. This is the irony of it. Although people fight for the freedom of choice, the irony of it is making that choice does not make you free. In fact, it does what to you? Yeah. It does the complete opposite of that. Shocking, is it not? This is why I need you to get this. I, I really, 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 I really want you to understand this. Please, people, I really want you to understand this. What they say out there, and they promise you this paradise land, they promise you this, you know, served on the plate, they'll tell you, this is what is going to give you that freedom. If you make that choice, then and there you lose your freedom. Do you see how people who, who call themselves successful struggle day and night? They've got all the money they want. They've got every luxury they can imagine. But really, go and talk to them. Spend some time with them. Because they don't show the things that happen behind closed doors to the outside. You know that is the that is the that is the danger of you know this media because on media they don't tell you what happens behind closed doors they don't talk to you about the fights that they have to have at home they don't talk to you about the 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 price that they have had to pay to earn themselves that freedom or so-called freedom. I've spent time with successful people, a lot of them, because I wanted to achieve that same success at one point in my life. Today also I'm amongst them, back then also I was amongst them, but different kind of success. Back then, the people I spent with, spent time with, I, on the offset, they don't tell you everything, because they want more like them. But then after you get to know them a bit better, and you get closer to them, and they invite you into their homes, then you begin to start to see the real picture. Then you start to see the real picture. How? First of all, the, the sacrifices that they've had to make to get the things that they have is tremendous, enormous, enormous sacrifices. They'll have a lot to their name but nothing really for them. I'm sharing this with you because, you know, there are some young people in the audience, in fact, most of you, or I think all of you, because you are still being influenced. Right? There are a lot of people listening to these talks online. Young people are very heavily impressioned, impressed, right? And they're very easily influenced. What you see out there, if you see it with a smile, then you begin to think, this is what gives me that freedom. This is what gives me that happiness. 
And then after that, your life becomes a pursuit of the freedom of choice to be able to get that. But what you don't see is what happens behind closed doors. What you don't see are all the hardships that they have to go through and all the sacrifices that they have to make to earn that. But that is only one part of the story. This is the other part. Let's just imagine there is someone who doesn't have, who, 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 who you know, this, is, this is purely hypothetical, but let's just say that there is someone who doesn't have to suffer all these hardships that I talk about and they don't have all these domestic issues that I talk about. Still, as I said, if you walk into their homes and you see all the things that they have to have to keep themselves happy, you can't tell me that they are truly free. Because their freedom depends on the ability to have all those things around them. So therefore, they haven't really made the choice of freedom. Those choices have only entrapped them, enslaved them. In business, they call it the golden handcuff. Ever heard that? They call it the golden handcuff. When you get some, they give you some more, and then you want that, and then to get that, you've got to give some more, and then you get some more, and then you have to give some more, and then you get some more. There is no end to this. It's golden, so you don't want to let it go. But it's a handcuff, so you can't let go. This is what's happening out there. And then people weave a web like a spider and then they're stuck in it. Let me show you how. <clears throat> See if you can spot these webs that you have weaved for yourself. <clears throat> you start off somewhere. Someone comes and tells you <clears throat> that there's a say there's a new restaurant. Okay? And you've got to go and try it. <clears throat> now, to go to that restaurant, so when they tell you that you have to, you, you, should, you should go, you should try it out, you know, let's go. Now, to get to that restaurant, I'll take a, I'll take a, a bit, almost a sizable example, because you might think, well, restaurant, you know, so what? I can just go this weekend. Because you have the means, that's why. Let's say, okay, let's say you have to go, you want to go on a trip somewhere, right? And say it's not immediately uh, affordable. You want to go on a, uh, maybe to a, you want to go to, say, Los Angeles, right? And they have, uh, you want to go and spend time in a seven-star hotel. Hmm? This is, this is the, the dream that someone's put into your mind, right? And you're going to go there for three weeks. 
Now you have to save up. Let's just say, let's just imagine, right? <clears throat> so, once this seed has been planted in your mind, have you, has anyone ever watched the, the film Inception? Hmm? Hmm. If you haven't, no, no, don't have to. <laughs> I know what you do otherwise. Right? You go home. So, I mean, says that to watch this. You make me a scapegoat of it. <clears throat> no, Swami so, I mean, Nasa didn't say watch it. I just asked you, have you? Okay? If you haven't, don't worry. It's about how seeds are planted in the mind. So there's a trick that you want to go on. Now to go on this trick, you need the, you need the money. And to get the money, now you need to work. To go on this trip, you need the money. To get the money, you need to work. Okay? To work, well, you need work. So, it's in, you need a job. To get the job, so to work, you need the job. Right? So, at the job you work, at the, and once you work, you get the money, you get the money, you go on a trip. Right? So, to get the job, you need to go for the interview. But to go for the interview, you need work experience. <clears throat> so, not this work experience, but some other work experience. And you also need other things. You need education. To get education, to get educated, you need to go to school. <clears throat> To get work experience, you need to get yourself another job. So this is job one, this is job two. And then again, this is connected to this. You have to go to school. And to get to school, you need the school bus. Oh, yes. Uh, or you need, uh, you need a car, right? So let's say this job, you have to drive, right? So you need a car. And to get the car, you need the loan, bank loan. To get the loan, first you need to, uh, you need to have a job. Oh yes, yes, thank you. <clears throat> you need the insurance. Once you have the car, you need the insurance. And to ha get the insurance, uh, you need the money. <clears throat> Ah, yes. Yeah, you know it. Hmm? Uh, so you need the clothes. Now you need the clothes to go to school also, hopefully. Uh, and to go to the job, right? And of course this job, right? And hopefully to drive the car, also you need clothes. Our petrol, yes. And then sometimes they don't have petrol. Then you need to go and stand in the queue. Hmm? So, to get the petrol also, again, you need the money. Right? And then to get the petrol, you need, of course, you need to stand in the queue. <clears throat> right? And then uh, to... Come on. This is not my life I'm drawing here. <laughs> I'm helping plan your life out for you. Huh? Huh? Then, uh, yeah, for education. Uh, so, again, you need the clothes. Right? So, you have to go there. Money. Yes, money. 
for the teachers. Then, of course, oh, you need food. You can't do any of these things without the food. And you need the house. Then, and, and then, yeah. The exhaust, right? And then, right? And then that. And then, uh, now, then you have to, uh, you know, once you are at home, you can't just be alone, right? You can have to entertain people. Yeah? So you have your friends who come around. Relations, right? And when they're there, now that's that's a whole new ball game, right? <laughs> hmm? Friends and relations and entertainment. That department, you know that department, yeah. <clears throat> right. When you open that department, then again it's connected to everything, right? You have friends at work. You have friends who are not at work. Friends who don't want you to see you at work, right? Uh, you, I, you're beginning to see that this is a web that you have weed for you for yourself. There's no way out of this. It's a trap. Imagine you're here. Oh, you're here, right? Now, to get out of this, you can't extract yourself out of this. It's like, imagine, extracting a tooth is easier. Because you only need to concern yourself about the two teeth on the side. If you still have them left. But extracting yourself out of this, you can't because each of these components are intricately bound to each other. This is the web that you weave for yourselves. And I've only just begun. What about the bills that you have to pay? What about the people that you have to satisfy and keep happy? Huh? Yeah. And the people that you have to entertain, not because you like them, but you, because you have to. And the, and, and the visit, and the people that you, whose homes you have to go to every now and then. Because again, you have to. Because you, not because you like them, but you have to. And then when things go wrong, you know, when, when you have one of these, how many things go wrong? Right? If you go and, even if something doesn't happen, no accidents, you still have to take it to the for a service. You have to take it to the garage every now and then, right? Tighten the screws and you know do the wires up again, put the oil in there, you know, change the battery, do that, do this, do the other, right? Now you have you have no time to go on the trip. Yeah, after you don't know that, you need a trip. You do. You do. You know, and so when you go on this trip, you try to forget all this. Yeah? That's it? I mean, come on, we've been there, done that, right? <clears throat> how do I know? Ah, you know how I know. We've been there, done that. Seriously ask yourselves, when you go on a trip, right, isn't that what you try and do? You try and forget the world out there. Sometimes you might even leave your phone behind. If possible, you leave your wife behind. Uh, wives will leave their husbands behind, if at all possible. Uh, you leave your children behind and disconnect yourself. And you go into a Wi-Fi dead zone. No, no reception, ideally. See? You do this because you know that this is a pain in the back. You know that. You know that. Let's be honest. You know that. That is why you look for 
a refuge. Every now, now every once, once in a while. You, you go on what they call a resort. Hmm? Now this is what you resort to. And you call it a resort. And you try and forget all these things. In, oh, you, you know, I didn't draw the other bit, the most important part. <clears throat> I only drew friends. What about family? Hmm? What about the sister-in-law? Oh, let's not talk about that. Huh? What about the mother-in-law? Hmm? What about the aunts and the uncles and the nephews and the nieces? You don't have time to even die. As Guru Hamru puts it. Where do people have the time to think about? Once you're trapped in this, you're just too, far too busy running around in this. No, no time to stop and think about, hey, hang on a second, my life is really complicated. You've seen those guinea pigs, right? Oh, they're not guinea pigs, those hamsters. Hmm? They are, they run in this, in this, these little contraptions, right? You have a hamster like that. Don't you be saying anything. That's a hamster. <coughs> hmm? What do they do? They keep on running. Right? Yeah. So they keep on running in that. Right? But they don't realize that they are stuck in one place. Once you've gone all that distance, right? You started life In bed, you're going to end life in bed. Then what is life? That is life. This is what's going on. And then once you connect your children to it, then this copy and paste copy and paste, but again, you are responsible. And then the second child, and paste again. The third child, and paste again. And then we wait until, what, they grow up? Ah, yes, yes. Then they grow up, and they have, uh, you know, they they have a family of their own, and then you are a grandmother. Or you're a grandfather. You're just multiplying the webs that you're in. Don't talk about monkhood, right? Forget that. Or don't talk about hermitage, right? Don't talk about that. Putting all that to a side, show me one way out of this. Show me a way out of this. And then with the TV at home, with the friends watching the TV and you watching the friends and then you watching the TV, they just keep on adding nodes to this, to this network. One after the other, after the other, after the other. This is the web that you weave for yourselves. And once you do it, there's no way out of it. You know, the hardest part for me, coming out of this web, was not trying to, you know, was not making my mind up for it. It was not the hardest part. It was really untangling myself 
from all these strings that was keeping me trapped in there. Because the 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 the, the mental letting go, you know, that was easy with the Dhamma. Once I had the Dhamma, you know, it was obvious. This is of no use. So this is why we speak to our dear children. Try and not get yourself into this. Yeah. They, they, they come and cling on to you and then they start spinning their webs around you. And then you become an important part of their webs. And not just one web. So many. Now you can't move anywhere. Because if you move left, then someone on the right will go, Hey, hey you are mine, I need you. Then you move to the right. And then someone on the left goes, No, I need you. Now you can't move. It's like a puzzle and you, you, where you're stuck, you can't move. This is the web of life. All this because you chose, you fought for the freedom of choice. Every single point of this, you fought for the freedom of choice. Fought for the freedom of choice, 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 choice. This is like choice mart. Yeah. Yeah, you can't choose. Huh? That you can't choose. This is what happens when you don't make the choice of freedom. Once you make the choice of freedom, you come out this, you go back once, and that's it. This doesn't become an incessant loop. This is why I say, you know, I, I know there are some among you who, who, who wish, if only we had heard this earlier. I know. I feel you. I feel you. Okay. So, from that perspective, it might be too late. But, it's never too late to make the right choice. Because the choices you made yesterday has deter have determined where you are today and the choices you make today will determine where you will be tomorrow. It is not the choices you made yesterday that determines where you, will be, where you will be tomorrow. It is the choices you make today. Therefore, matters not what choices you have made up until this point. What matters is what choice you make today. This is why I tell you, live out there because you have no choice about that. But whilst you live out there, open your eyes, ask the question why. Not what choices, why choices. Whenever you contemplate on the why, why these choices, why do I need more choices, why do I need to make more choices, why do I ask for more choices, you will start to have answers to them. Come here to find the answers for them. This is also a choice, isn't it? This is a choice you have made. Exactly. Ask, I'm, I'm trying to help you find out the why this choice. Perhaps you came here because a friend asked you to come. There are so many other choices. So many other choices to what you could have done on a Saturday morning. Or perhaps even if you chose a place like this, they could have, you could have gone to many other places. But you chose to come here. <clears throat> I'm, I'm asking you to Understand why you made this choice. And if you've made this choice, now what's going to happen next? 
Your being here alone is helping you. Don't be fooled that your being, you know, I've, I've been coming here now for what, two years, three years, four years, so I mean, am I really making any progress? Sometimes you might feel like asking that question. I'll be, you know, I come to every, every Saturday sermon, I go to Guru Tero's sermons, right? But is, is, is something really happening to me? Huh? I'll give you a really simple answer to that question. You're still coming, aren't you? Hmm? No one's bending your arm saying, Go, otherwise I won't let go. Hmm? No. No one's holding a gun to your head saying, you have to go on Saturday, otherwise I'm going to pull the trigger, right? No. So, right from when you started to this day, you're still coming here. Meaning, you are able to make a choice and you have, you're continuing to make that choice. The fact that that choice still seems like the right choice to you means something's happening. <clears throat> Because you're not an idiot, you're not a fool. To make, keep on making the same choice, let's not talk about that for a second. Hmm? You're not an idiot, and neither are you fools. Hmm? To keep on making the same choices. Huh? In Einstein's words, that's called insanity. Expecting a different result. Keep, you know, keep on doing the same thing, expecting a different result. He calls it insanity. Huh? But you're not like that. You are trying to find out how do we now make the right choice, that choice of freedom. Now, I want to do right by all of you because there are, for some, for some of you, yes, this is all very practical, but you want to have, you want to find the answer to this, right? Here's a task for all of you to do. So I'm going to now get a little bit deeper, okay? We are going to start getting into the Dhamma. Find answer to this. These are all choices, and you like the freedom of the choice, right? Can you spot what is common among all these choices? Now, without saying out loud, I want you to think. <clears throat> it, I, I, like, I like doing this in all of our sermons. Even, even when I speak to Swami says, I never give them answers, because I tell them a teacher's job is not to give you answers, it is to ask the right questions. And to get you to think. Because when you can think one day, you will not need me anymore. If I have to think on your behalf, then I will always have to be here to guide you and hold your hand. I don't want that because I can't always be here. Now, back to the question. See if you can spot something common in all these choices. I'll help you. You start thinking, okay? I'm going to give you some hints. What did these choices give you? What did they offer you? What did these choices help you achieve? You know now it wasn't freedom. Yeah, it wasn't freedom. There was something that you were trying to preserve. There was something that you were trying to satisfy. There were trying something that you were trying to make and keep happy. Have the answer? What is it? Yes, absolutely. All of these choices, those choices which you now perhaps sometimes regret, some choices you tell me, oh, I wish, how I wish, Swami Nuhansa, 
you had told me this three years ago when that choice was in front of me and I could have walked back or taken another route but now it's too late for me. I'm telling you, yes, you passed that junction but another junction is up ahead. There is no end of junctions here in, in, in the, on the road of life. Right? One after the other, there are junctions. Perhaps do a, maybe some junctions are approaching for you. And some of those junctions will look like this. Oh yeah, they know what I'm talking about. Some of those junctions, if you are like this, okay, some junctions will look like this. Hmm? 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 <laughs> Some junctions will look like this. Huh? Some junctions will look like look like this. Money. It's money. Okay? It's money. God. You're such a tough audience to please. What are you guys like? That's, that, that's a dollar sign. Some junctions will look like this. There will be times where, in life, you know, the thing is this, right? This sansara is such a trick. Right? You... Try and not be the joke. You try and not be the joke. Sometimes when you are presented with the opportunity to make that freedom of choice, that is when these choices will start coming to you. Oh, I swear to you, the times I have had to speak with young people. And they come and tell, you know, sometimes, you know, when they are very young, you know, I want to be a monk, I want to be a monk, I want to do this, I want to choose this life. Oh, Swami Nas, I can't wait until I'm 14. I can't wait until I'm 20. Right? And my mother said, I can go at 20. Right? And then 20 comes. Hmm? 14 comes, 20 comes, 25 comes, when their parents have given them, you know, permission and all that. And then something else comes. I'll tell you why. There's a reason for this. I think Guru Nandru mentioned it in one of the sermons. Seldom and very rarely, very rarely does a mother, father or other relation usually wholeheartedly gives permission and allows someone to leave. Usually what people do is, why? Huh? Why? Why do you go? What's wrong? Stay. Be with me. Hmm? Who's going to look after me? Stay, you know, stay a bit longer. Uh, grow up. Uh, do, uh, learn some more. Get a better education. Earn some money. Do a job. Have a child. Right? And then go. Yeah. And then go. Right? All those times where you held them back are many, many more than the times where you said, yeah, fine if you want, go ahead. When you put them on the scale, it's like that, if that is the scale. So therefore, every time you have to make this choice, the choice of freedom, the freedom of choice will present itself to you. 
that is a fantastic trap. Speak to any Swami Nuhanse at our monastery. Speak to any of our Anagarika Mahatmyas whenever you get a chance. Speak to some of the Anagarika Mahatmyas if you get a chance. Every time the freedom of the choice of freedom was presented to them, the freedom of choice came behind them and said, Why? Yeah, see, freedom. Choose, choose, choose me, choose me. Sometimes until then it didn't work out. You know, they went on applying for jobs, uh, going for the interviews, nothing came up. And then someday they heard a sermon and said, You know what? I want to go and choose this alternative life. I want I want to cho- I want to choose freedom. And then they then they went, right, to the monastery, and the monastery said, Yep, sure, come on, you know, come next Saturday. Right? So they went back home and guess what? Job offer. Not one, three. Promotions. Hmm? Please, 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 please. No, 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 no. Please, 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 please. No, 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 no. He says, I want to go and ordain. Can you? They come and ask. Happens. Happens so many, so many times. Time and time and time again it happens. Because the freedom of choice always comes to you when you are ready to make that choice of freedom. Be mindful of these things. They'll come to you at the wrong time. This web, can you see a way out? There is no way out. There is no way out because there is still something, you know, all of these things you do for one purpose. For as long as that purpose remains valid, there is no way out of this. And what is that purpose? You answered that question earlier. Exactly. Satisfying, preserving, right? That self. See, all these choices were made for a better me, a better future, a greener pasture, a better tomorrow, a brighter tomorrow. Isn't it a shame? Because now you are beginning to realize that is just a dream. Mm-hmm. And the eleven fires that come along with it. You know, behind each of these is, is going to be a sub story. Each of these things are things that you had to earn, you had to go after, and therefore things that you have to protect. Because if you don't protect this, something else is going to get hurt. In fact, it's it's like, you know, imagine this is a matrix or a matrix. Right? If you were to take this and flip it. Right? Turn it on its side. What you're going to see is something like this. So these are all those nodes. This is the network between them. Right? Underneath this is one thing that you're trying to do. So all this is there to preserve this. Dukkho loke patitita. This entire world, you know, this is, you're, you're seeing it from this dimension, right? I'm saying, so this is the dimension I drew it, now turn it like this and look what's underneath. All of this is to sustain that. 
This is the weight that you feel. You feel a weight? You feel the burden of life? You call this health, you know, you say this is the rat race of life. All these chores and the burden that, that weighs heavily on my shoulders. These are the things that keep you from sleeping at night. These are the things that have taken away your happiness. That puts your life into misery. But you build this world. Because for as long as you're standing there like that, and this self has to be sustained, you this, 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 this is a fire that keeps on cooking this flame. This is water that, is, that keeps on boiling because this flame is on. That is why when you come here, you know, we talk about all this, yes. We talk about why this is painful, why, you know, all the suffering that you have to go through to endure this. But that in itself is not the answer. You know, I can talk to you till the cows come home about why all the pain that you have to endure because of, you know, the early starts, the late finishes, right? And all the, the hardship that you have to endure and the, the people shouting at you and, the, and when people cheat on you, right? And how you get, you know, you, you get punished and all those things. But none of those things are really the answer. Because those are simply the consequences. These are the 11 great fires that you have to sustain. Underneath that is the real thing. So this is what I want you to start thinking about. All of this because of this one thing. Because all this was done with one purpose. This is all a means to one end. And that end is to keeping the self happy. So imagine if we could get rid of this self. Now there is nothing to keep happy. Therefore you are happy. Ridding this is the choice of freedom. Up here you have freedom of choice. Here you have choice of freedom. These are two different strata. You understand what I'm saying now, right? This is the, the top layer that you see as the world in which you live, hmm? which is the which is the web, and there's no coming out of it. There's no going out this way. There's no going out this way. Don't even bother. Don't even bother. All this is there to sustain this. But the plight is no one sees this. No one knows about this. No one knows about this. No one sees this. But this is what the Buddha said. Dukkho, loke, patitita. The world, this web of world that you, that you have built for yourself is all there on top of, rests on, lies on this self or dukkha. This is the dukkha that the Buddha talks about. Not dukkha as in suffering. Jati. All this is to keep this happy. Because this is, you know, you're never happy, never satisfied. This is not something that can be satisfied. Jati is not something that can be satisfied. Why is that? Exactly. Exactly. How can you ever something that is, that is how can you feel a bottomless pit?
You can't. So if you if you ever have felt the tiresome nature of this, if you have ever felt the exhaustion of the lives that you live, folks, don't try to... What Typically what people will do is they'll add, they'll add something else in here. And then connect that as well. When you, when you, when you live in fear that, you know, you, you might be under threat, now you install a CCTV camera system. Or you put up a wall. Hmm? You, you get, you know, maybe a security guard to look after your property. Now who has to look after the security guard? Who has to look after the cameras? Who has to paint the walls? That is never an answer. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from today's talk, it is that. Trying to free yourself from this trap, from this web, by trying to add another node into this is not an answer. Not even jumping out like here. That is also not an answer. Some people, you know, like say some people choose monkhood, this life, not having understood this. You know what they do after that? You will forgive me for saying this. You know what they do after that? They go somewhere else and then they start their own thing. This is the existential crisis. For as long as you exist, you need a network that supports you. You need it. It's like for as long as the body exists. You need clothes, you need shelter, you need food, you need meds. Right? Likewise, for as long as the self exists, you need an environment, an ecosystem that sustains you. No wonder. That's no surprise. Yeah? Of course. There's, there's no, there's no, it is not an answer. In fact, it makes things even worse. Because if you are giving up your ability to think, make, cho- make the right choices, your ability for intelligence, right? If that is what you're, 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 you're surrendering, chances are you're never going to get it back again for a long, long, long time. Yep, absolutely. You know, that's why when we invite you to come here, right? As in, once you, once you, once you feel you are ready, See, even the Anagarika program, right? We don't get people today and, um, you know, ordain them the following day. Because we don't want them doing that. What's the point? You know, our young Anagarika children, now they're going to be as Anagarikas for a good few years. You know, parents are sometimes really worried. You know, what if I, my child is making the wrong choice? Right? What if, you know, he later on decides this is not the right life for him? Yeah, well, we have an answer for that. We are not asking them, asking you to bring them here to ordain them. We are asking you to bring them here, you know, to give them the choice of freedom. You can't tell me, dear parents, that you have made every option available to your children until you give them the choice of freedom. All you've done is avail to them the freedom of choice. But the most important choice you haven't availed to them unless and until you show them the path to deliverance, the Dhamma. And, you know, it's just, it's just really funny that, you know, sometimes parents will come and say, you know, what if my, my child, you know, he, he gets 
fed up of this, right? And and he, he he's making the wrong choice. You know, I I want him. You know, sometimes I just I have to try and stop myself from laughing out loud. But I understand why they say that, right? Sometimes children, parents will tell me that. I want my child to grow up and make the right choice if they feel that this is the right choice for them. Did you do that for your child? Did you allow, wait for the child to grow up and, and, and follow the path that you have given them? Hmm? No, it's only the Dhamma path. You know, when the Buddha says, this is the right path, now you have to wait until the child grows up. <laughs> hmm? But when the mother and father say, this is the path for the child, the child has to accept it. Then you don't say, no, I have to wait until my child grows up. At, you know, at, at what age is the right age for a child to have a mobile phone uh, or a tab or access to the internet? Uh, then you don't say, I have to wait until my child grows up and he's mature enough to use them. Right? At such a young age, you, you expose the child to that. But if ever we, we propose or suggest, you know, why don't you bring the child here for a week? Two weeks, right? Six months. Maybe just allow the child to spend a year here. See what it's like. The real excuse is something else. The real story. <laughs> but they don't agree. They don't accept, they don't admit. Here's the real story. In their web, in their web, their child is a node. They can't give up their child because they have their child is, is there as part of their 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 existence they need the child to be there for for them to sustain themselves therefore they can't watch the child walk away just 6 months one year no but and isn't this why when the child says but i want okay i want to go to australia i want to go to america i want to go to uk i want to go for my education huh? then 3 years 4 years 5 years no problem this is what Guru Hamra always goes on about. Right? If the choice is, you know, two years in America, three years in Canada, or four years in the UK, no problem. That you can do. But one year at the monastery? Oh no. That we have to wait until the child grows up and he is mature, he or she is mature enough to make the right choice. How about the choice you are making on his behalf then? Did you wait for him to grow up? So it's it's those things that you've done that come back to haunt you, that come back to bite you when you feel now you are ready to make that choice. When you feel you are ready to make the choice of freedom, right? Everything else comes, all those things that you did to others in the past. Then it becomes incredibly difficult to, to free yourself from that. Anyhow, back to our story. This is what I want you to contemplate on. I'm not asking you to become frustrated with life. That is not the way we work. It's not how we operate. Because if you become frustrated with life, then offing with yourself becomes, an, becomes a viable option. What is to off with yourself? Go hang yourself. Yeah, that becomes a viable option. That is not an answer in Buddhist philosophy. It is not an answer with our practice and the way we do things. Because we don't see that the problem is with the world out there. If it were, then the answer is also there. That's not how it is. Our approach is to have the right approach to whatever comes at you. Whatever life throws at you. 
That is our approach. So, when you are out there living life, the question you need to be asking is not what choice, but why choice? Always try and find an answer to that question. Why choice? Try and bring your concentration here. Try and bring your focus here. This self that you experience, this self that you feel, this self that you that you have to that, that, that you feel is there, it is always looking for some way to please itself. The first and most important thing to do is to become aware of that. You know, this is what I call awareness. I, I think, you know, to, to think that, to say that awareness is simply, say, for example, focusing on your breath or focusing on what's going around, you know, like there's a noise now in the background. Awareness is not simply just being aware that there's a noise, there's a noise, there's a noise, there's a noise, yes, there's a noise, there's a noise, there's a noise. Some people will say, don't try and analyze the noise, just be aware of the noise. That is not what we say. When you're sat down for meditation, some some practices will urge you. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying this is not what we urge you to do. Because how, who am I to say whether something's right or wrong? I'm not the Buddha. But what I can tell you is how we approach things here. When you sit down for meditation, you know, some, let's say you, you, I've seen some people, you know, they'll sit down in front of a, a lamp and watch the flame. And what they'll see is the, the impermanent nature of the flame. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is, the, the, the meditation that I urge you to do, that we encourage you to do, is to bring your awareness here. Because to do that kind of meditation, you have to be sat in front of a lamp, or behind a lamp. To do this, you just have to live. Then you don't have to find a separate time in your diaries, in your schedules, right, to go and sit down and meditate, because you're always in meditation mode. Bring your concentration to yourself. Identify that there is a feeling of self that always wishes to be satisfied, but bring your, bring, your, bring your understanding, tune your understanding to the fact that this is not a real self, but only the sense of a self. How do you know you're living? You have your five senses. These are the inputs into your mind. Okay? So the mind arises. This is not one mind. Right? Right? These are chittas that arise and pass away. So this is with time. I always keep saying this because I don't want you to think that there is a mind that is always there constantly. That is not what it is. It is always a manifestation. Right? Manifestations are always there only at the moment it manifests. It is not the same thing that exists the next moment and neither was it the thing that existed prior to that. That is the nature of the manifestation. With all things, absolutely, yeah. All things only manifest because all things are characteristically anicca. Right? What is anicca? That is, it is causes that bring, bring about an effect. In fact, you can't say that something is anicca. You know, when, when the Buddha says, rupang anicca, Okay, so this is a very subtle point. I, I, I you know, try and understand what I'm going to explain to you here. When the Buddha says Rupa Nganicca, what is 
what he, what he tries to explain to us there is that there is not a rupa and now you need to understand that it is anicca. What he's saying is rupa is a manifestation. Let me put it this way. Remember last week we talked about framing? If I were to tell you that this is now, say, six months old, if I were to tell you that this is six months old, that implies that this has been here for six months. Yeah? From if this was manufactured six months ago, and it is six months from that date of manufacturing, now, manufacturing? Manufacture? Thank your pardon. Now, that implies that this has been here for six months. Okay? So this has aged. Six months. And then I'll tell you maybe the, you know this this will only last a year and then after that it perishes, then you'll tell me this has another six months to go. Meaning this thing, this thing, this entity has a lifespan of one year. Yeah? That's what it means. When the Buddha says Rupang Anicca, now you have to forego this concept that this lasts for one year. Because what I hold in my hand at this moment is brand new. It has never been here before. And it never will be. This is the only time. In fact, when I do this, this is the only time. Each time I'm holding something brand new. Each time I'm holding something brand new. See? You see this one? Is the same one? No. Now, now someone asked me, well, is it a different one? But then, where's the other one? If you had one in your hand before, then where's the other one? <clears throat> Here, it's very important to ask the person asking you the question, what do you mean? Before you can give me that answer. So, when I ask you the question, <clears throat> is this a new one? You're going to have to ask me, what do you mean, Swami answer? Because it depends on the, 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 the frame of reference. Is it in, are we in or out? You are where you are, right? I'm asking you a question. Are you inside or outside? Ah. <clears throat> because if everything outside this building is inside, then this is outside. If everything outside this building is outside, then this is inside. So that's relative. Yeah. So, likewise, you can't ask answer that question I ask you unless until you establish some facts. So, here I ask you: Is this the same one that was here before? You can't answer that question until and unless you ask me another question to establish what do I mean by that. Right now, I'll tell you what I meant because here's where some people get lost and they get all confused. So if this is an object, these are both extremes. Whether something exists or something doesn't exist. Now bear with me. Okay? I'm trying to explain to you something really, really, really subtle. It is. Sometimes you might think, oh yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. It's very likely that it's not what I intend to share with you. Does this exist or does it not exist? 
You will know from perhaps reading the scriptures or maybe listening to previous talks, when the Buddha was asked this question, he, he would say, neither this nor this. Now you got to ask, try to find out why did the Buddha say that? Was he intentionally trying to confuse the guy? When the Buddha was asked, Venerable Sir, do you say that the self exists? The Buddha says, no. Ah, okay. So you say the self doesn't exist? The Buddha says, no. So you say the self neither exists no, doesn't exist. No. So then you say that the self neither exists nor not exists. I'm even I'm confused. They call this a quadrilemma. Does something exist? Does something not exist? Right? Uh, do they both not exist, or do they both not not exist? <laughs> by the time you get to the third or the first question, you, I'm, I'm confused. And the Buddha says, no, 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 I never said any of those things. Have you, have you come across this, this part in the Dhamma, right? And you wondered what this is going on about? Uh, you know, it's, it's important that we spend a few moments talking about this because this question was asked back then. That is why there is evidence of that in the Tripitaka. <clears throat> and why did the Buddha say, I never said that? It's a bit like this, right? Imagine, Someone in the audience comes up to me and say, and asks me, Sir, uh, did you say that a dog, that Tommy is here? Did you, did you say that Tommy was here? What do I say? No. Did you say that Tommy is not here? <laughs> no, I never said something like that. So did you not say that Tommy was here? Or, and, and Tommy was here? No. So did you say that Tommy is here and either not here? No. Because I never talked about Tommy. I never talked about Tommy. You imagine a Tommy, right? And then you come and ask me, did I say something about Tommy? I never even talked about him. That's the first time I heard of Tommy. It was when you, when you asked me. So this is why when the Buddha is asked, Sir, do you talk about a self? The Buddha says, no. So did you say then that the self doesn't exist? Buddha says, no. Because the Buddha never said that the self doesn't exist. Why? Because the Buddha doesn't talk about the self. He speaks of the sense of self. He speaks of jati. Jati is not self. Now get that into your minds, into your heads. Hopefully I'm coming across loud and clear to you. Okay? I'll repeat. People go and ask him, Sir, do you talk about the self? Do you say that the self exists? Atma. Hmm? Because in those days people used to believe in, in, in the Atma, in the soul. Right? They go and ask the Buddha, Sir, do you talk, do you say in your, in your philosophy, do you say that the soul exists? Buddha says no. So do you say that there is no self? No, that, that people used to believe that, you know, uh, people used to believe back then that we either have a self or an Atma or an Atma does not exist. Right? So now they would go and ask, Sir, do you talk about no self? 
And the Buddha says, no. Because the Buddha has no business talking about a self. Because he is not, he hasn't, he, he didn't come into this world to talk about the presence or the absence of a self. He talks about jati. He talks about dukkha. What jati does, it gives you the sense of self. That is why the Buddha says, I don't talk about either of these two things. And then the Buddha goes on to talk about the dependent origination. Yeah, he talks about Parichasamupada. He talks about the origination of jati. So, you know, then uh, those days people would use, because they knew about Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana. Hmm? So here's what they came and asked the Buddha. They asked him, they asked him, sir, we know about Rupa. Right? Is the self in the Rupa? And the Buddha says, he doesn't say no. He says, you're asking the wrong question. Doesn't he? He doesn't say no. Because if you say no to this, then that guy's going to think, ah, it's not in the self then. Sorry, it's not in the Rupa, must be somewhere else. If, you know, if you have, if uh, there's someone who you don't live with, like, like Tommy, hmm? if Tommy, Tommy doesn't exist, uh, I would never talk about Tommy then, would I? Or the absence of Tommy. I wouldn't talk about, because Tommy doesn't come into my world until you come and ask me about Tommy. So, like that, you know, people can just, uh, you know, self in the Rupa. Buddha says no. Buddha doesn't say no. Buddha says, you're asking the wrong question. Ah, okay. So he says, I'm asking the wrong question. So I, surely I must be asking it the other way around. So Rupa is in the self. Right, Buddha? Right, Buddha? Buddha says, you're asking the wrong question. Okay. So then Rupa must be made out of self. Right, Buddha? Buddha says, you're asking the wrong question. And then he says, ah, got it, I got it. Now I, can, now I got it. So, Rupa is what makes the self. Right, Buddha? You are asking the wrong question. So, is Rupa the self? That is the last question they have to ask. And again the Buddha says, wrong question. Some people at that point become, yeah, they get really annoyed and frustrated and then they say, this guy doesn't even know what the heck he's talking about. And they stand up and walk away. They don't stop to ask, if these are the wrong questions, what is the question I need to be asking? Some people didn't have that wisdom. That is why I say a teacher's job is not to give the answers. It is to get them to ask the right question. Don't we see that from the teacher, from the Buddha's life, the best teacher we've ever had? He says that is not the question to ask. He prompts the man. You know, you're asking the wrong question. You know, a wise man should realize, and if I'm asking the wrong question, then I shouldn't be, you know, twisting the question and asking in another way. I should be asking, what is the right question to ask? Some wise people do that. And then the Buddha says, all right, you're asking about something that you sense. But you don't know it is something that you sense. That is why you are talking about it as if it's a real thing. And once you think it's a real thing, now you are trying to fit it into a Rupa, or into a Vedana, or into a Sanya, or into a Sankara, or a Vinyana. Or you think that the Rupa has to fit into it. 
Oh, you think that it is made out of rupa. Oh, you think that the rupa is made out of it. Oh, you think that they are one and the same. This is the five types of sarka aditi. Five times four, twenty. So they ask these questions. About the Rupa, about the Vedana, about Sanya, about Sankara and Vinyana. So then the Buddha says, you are asking the wrong question. The question you ought to be asking is Dukkha. In fact, what he says is, ask me why you feel that way. Hmm? Why? What is the what is the cause of this? Ask me that. Everywhere you see, if you if you ever had a chance to look at the scriptures, that is what it always says. The Buddha at the end of that conversation, the Buddha will go, "Don't ask me where it is or where it is not. Ask me why it comes into being. See, not what choices, why choices. Ask me why. And then if they are prudent enough, intelligent enough to ask that question, then the Buddha says, right." Avidya Pachya Sankara. Oh, in fact, you know, he starts the, the, he starts in the reverse direction. He'll go, you sense this, this is the sense of self is because of Baba. You know what they do after that? Then they start asking about Baba. Ah, okay, Buddha, now I, now I get it. So, Baba is in the Rupa, right? No. You are asking the wrong question. Fair enough. Fair enough that the that they are asking the wrong question because the Buddha hasn't taken them all the way until that point where they realize all of that was the wrong question. So they go, okay, so Bhava is in the Rupa. You are asking the wrong question. So Rupa is in the Bhava. Wrong question. Bhava is made of Rupa. Wrong question. Rupa is made of Bhava. Wrong question. Then ask me why Bhava comes into being. Okay, why does Bhava come into being? Upada. Got it. So, Upadana is what Rupa is made of. Again, they go on about that. So, they keep on asking this question. This series of questions, I mean, it might not have happened exactly like that. But, you know, that is the gist of it. Right? All the way until it gets to ignorance or avidya. Once you get to that point, you can't ask that question. Because what, what that says is, you are asking this question because you are an idiot. So it's idiot in the rupa. <laughs> you, you can't ask that question. Because ultimately the Buddha has shown to this man with, out of infinite compassion you have until this time asked me the wrong question because you are ignorant. Then the moment the Buddha shows this man that he is ignorant that in itself is his enlightenment. Because he realizes all this time he was looking for a self, when in fact it was simply ignorance that made him believe that this is a real self that he was trying to home, when in fact it was simply a sense of self. So what the Buddha explains to the dependent origination process, dependent origination of what? Of suffering or jati. Yeah? What the Buddha explains to the different, through the dependent origination process is why you feel this self but it's not really a self, it is simply the sense of self. So then he comes all the way back. Avidya, Pacha, Sankara, Pacha, Vinyana, Namarupa and so on. And he comes to Jati and then he says, because of Jati you have the eleven great fires. 
Because in fact, that is what the man has come looking for. You know, the thing is, in those days, you know, there were lots of hermits and there were lots of ascetics, right? A lot of, lot of philosophers. You know, there were lots of his contemporaries. Yeah, I mean, I think even the likes of uh, Socrates and those people, you know, they were, they were also there around that time. You know, there was a, there was a big boon in philosophers around the time of the Buddha. So they were, they were all talking about some philosophy or the other. So it was, you know, like today where people go around looking for sensuality and how to please their senses. In those days, people are going around looking for this, this problem of existence. Why do we suffer? As I'm saying, you know, the more technology advances, the more sensual pleasures and material success you know, have become readily available to us. This is a sign that our, spiritually we are on the decline. People have now lost the need or the reason or, the, or a purpose to look for the real problem. What they're doing is they're completely ignorant to that. So ignorant, they don't even stop to ask the question, why do I suffer? Look at what happened to us. We are so engrossed in this. We are so blind. We are so drowned in this. We don't even see that there is light at the end of this. This is what has happened. You know, As we go further and further in our evolution, it is only going to get worse. You know, I haven't never, I've never validated the, the, the truth of this. I've never asked someone or checked, you know, whether this is right or wrong. But what I've heard, and, you know, some books will claim this, claim this to be true. You know, it is said that long, long, long time ago, humans had an average lifespan of 80,000 years. Human beings had a lifespan of, an average lifespan of 80,000 years. And then what happened was, they started committing sins. You know what the first one was? Theft. That's where it all started. Theft. With theft came murder. And after murder came lying. So what happened was, back in those days, if there was... If, if theft ever happened in the kingdom, you know, then they, they, those days they had wheel-turning monarchs. Sakkidiraja. Right? They had wheel-turning monarchs. It was their job. It was their duty, their obligation. Whenever if they, were, they were to find a, a poor man or someone who had stolen, their punishment was not to chop their hands off or, you know, behead them. What they would do is actually they would give them treasure. They would give them the money, the resources, so that they wouldn't have to do that again. And then they would introduce them to, you know, the Dhamma, so that they would not have, they would not have the need to do it again. But you know, they understand, uh, you know, a hungry man, you know, can, you know, is an angry man. Uh, so a hungry man will go, will, is angry, and therefore he'll, he'll go stealing. So that is that is what those wheel-turning monarchs back in the day did. But you know, on one occasion. Someone decided, no, that's not how we need to deal with these problems. Let, let's behead them. So after theft came murder, killing. And then once that started to become the norm, right? now people started to lie about, what, about, the, about their wrongdoings. So then came false, false speech. Hmm? And then after that, 
came backstabbing because people used to go and excuse me people used to go and you know uh, what do you call it uh, they used to go and inform about other people who had done you know committed such such crimes and sins and then came backstabbing right? and then after that people became so engrossed because now they were poor people started to grow because the, the kings were not there to give them the the money and to help them out of poverty that was not that was becoming you know an exception and the norm was punishment corporal punishment you know beheading executions and so on and then when people needed things because those days people used to have things so they didn't have, they didn't have need to go get snatch other people's property but now because they don't have the means to it they used to they started indulging in things that they, that were not rightfully theirs and so there there on came indulgence in sensuality in wrong and harmful ways long story short when this became human beings behavior you know because they took away life life started to become shorter because what you give you get what you take you lose right once beheading people and taking people's lives started to become the the normal way of punishing people right as a as as a humanity as a species our lifespan shortened so much so that now we are what 80 not even 100 anymore and it is said that this will continue yeah until the lifespan average lifespan drops down to 10 years 10 years and then at that point you know people will become like they'll be like savages killing murdering looting pillaging rife and you are beginning to see some of these things the other day didn't i talked about the dark web huh? and and how atrocities atrocities happen out there that sometimes you don't even know about you know it is said as as people spiritually and morally go on this steep decline lustful behavior will become commonplace even among yeah and it is happening now parental connection that devotion is no longer it is happening now you know i i i saw the i saw the effect and then i went and did the study and it tallies so imagine you know in a few years time from now in a few decades time from now you will even begin to hear about brothers and sisters getting married or living together it it is not it is not very long before it's going to start to happen mark my words is it already there you go incestuous relationships common place i mean you know there are websites you know the sites that you know people children should not be going on i on there you know they talk about these things there are there are categories for that you know like there are categories for this kind of people that kind of people you know big people small people and so on there are categories for incestual relationships if you want to see if that is what floats your boat if that is what satisfies you then there are websites which which show you that kind of stuff meaning it is something that people enjoy right otherwise why would people put that up on there just like there are sites which show naked young children 
there are sites which show such kind of relationships, connections between members of the family, incestuous relationships. So they can't be showing those things if those things are not available today in society. So that feeds this and this feeds that. Wonderful. See what the Buddha said. If that is what the Buddha had said, as I said, I haven't verified the, 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 the validity of those documents, but if that is true, then we are seeing it happen right in front of our very own eyes. You know, and then the Buddha says, two and a half thousand years is all we have left of this asana, right? So in the next two and a half thousand years, you know, this is going to go, oh, you know, complete, this is going to go south. And it's just keep on going there. Because people don't see the problem. They're going from blindness to blindness, from darkness to darkness. No wonder it's called the dark web. This is the dark web. We created the dark web. Ignorance and attachment created the dark web. But this web that you can't get yourself out of. It is so dark. So dark. Pitch black dark. There is not, not, not just a shard of, uh, of light. Not, not a ray of light. And it's getting worse. We can't stop that. How do we know? Because the Buddha has said there is no reverse to this until it gets down to 10 years. And then what's going to happen after that is there's going to be massive genocide. Right? Weapons will start to appear in people's hands just like that. Spontaneously, weapons start to appear in people's hands. Today you have to work for it. You have to go and build them, forge them. Right? When this is going to happen, weapons are going to appear in people's hands because of that rage and hatred that people will have with each other. And it is true. How do we know this is true? Because of all the separation. All these divisions that we have in society means now each division has to protect themselves, right? Think about it. When there's unity, there's togetherness. But when there's division, when there's separation, now each pocket has to look after itself. Therefore, every time there's a division, now it has to look after self-preservation. And therefore, there, there's, there's always going to be tensions between each other. Tension is going to be rife. And then, struggles and battles and wars, all this. We know, I mean, even to this point, you know, in some countries, they have atomic weapons that can be, that can be fired at, at the press of a button. You know, they're all armed and ready to go. You just need, to, you just need the word. You know how much tension there is out there, right? For those of you who study, you know, global economics and politics and so on, you know that the state that the world is in, at the drop of a button, or at the press of a button, you know, it's just waiting to happen. They don't build those things, you know, just for fun of it. Now, one day they're going to start using them, and that's not going to be very long from now. So much hatred in people's hearts. So the, way that the, the only time the Buddha says that this is going to reverse is once it drops down to 10 years. After that, there's going to be massive genocide, just, you know, killing at the sight, at the sight of someone. And at this point, a few people, you know, they, they isolate themselves from society. This is what the scriptures say. They isolate themselves from society and they go into hiding. And they, and they wait it off until all this has settled. And then they come back. And then they look at all the destruction, the massive destruction that has happened, the aftermath. 
And then they begin to realize, you know, look at what we've done to ourselves. At that point, they, they, they come to an agreement. From today onwards, let's stop killing people at least. After they stop killing people for a while, 10 goes up to 20. But they don't stop looting, killing stops. That goes up to 20. After a while again, you know, then they, they begin to realize, okay, so there are benefits to this. Abstaining from unmeritorious deeds, abstaining from these sinful deeds, there's benefit to it. Look, we live longer now at least. Then they stop doing some of the other things, some of the other terrible deeds, and that grows up to 30, 50, and so on. All the way back up to 80,000. You know when the Maitri Buddha is meant to come? Yeah. You know when he's due to come? When it goes back up to 80,000. Are you waiting for him? We are still at 100. It needs to go down to 10 and then rise back up to 80,000. That's when he's going to come. Remember, that's going to take more than two and a half thousand years. More like 25 million years or maybe even a billion years. Who knows? All we have left is another two and a half thousand years. That's two and a half millennia. That's it. Even less than that now. Not even that. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Huh? But that's, that's assuming that you're going to be born every single time. As a human being, in the, in, in the presence of the noble triple gem, hmm? then it's okay. But what, what guarantees do we have of that? So really, the only time we can guarantee ourselves is now. Don't tell me 80. Now. Now is the only time you can guarantee. You can't tell me that all of you will go home alive. You can't guarantee that. I can't give you a guarantee. This is the only time that you have. So what should you do in the only time you have? Bring yourself back to that point. Mindful awareness. What the real problem is. Once you start seeing that problem, you stop trying to find solutions to the unnecessary superficial auxiliary problems and you start focusing on the real problem. The, your mind is capable of achieving these solutions only if it focuses on the right problem. You know, the human mind is, great, is capable of great feats. Right? It's capable of doing all that, but it needs to see the real problem. It needs to attain, come to some adipti, which is having seen the real problem. And then once you're there, you have entered the stream. And the stream will most certainly and most definitely, without doubt, take you to the ocean, which is your nibbana. So, what we need to do, as if our heads are on fire, is to attain the state of sotapanna. Sotapanna is simply a realization. Nothing changes about you. Nothing changes about you. You might even not know it's happened to you. And some, certainly someone else can't look at you and say that it has happened. The only thing that you can do is to keep yourself in the Dhamma, Keep yourself in the association of noble ones and keep yourself doing meritorious deeds, always affirming and determining. Right? May these merits help me to attain that realization. That is the only hope we have. That's why we say, Natti me saranang anyang, buddho me, dhammo me, sangho me saranang varam. 
There is no other refuge. This, these are not my words. I didn't make that up. That was the Buddha. Absolutely no other refuge. Going on trips is not the answer. Going to the moon is not the answer. Getting yourself a new car is not the answer. Although it seems like it at that point. Getting yourself a new friend is not the answer. Getting yourself a new more comfortable sofa or doing up the upholstery at home is not the answer. Getting yourself a new kitchen is not the answer. Those are all problems that will there be there for as long as the real problem exists. So let's all get it right into our thick skulls that for as long as we can and while we can, let us make use of this Dhamma because its days are numbered, so are yours. right? But if we strive, we can. So work diligently, heedfully, skillfully, be aware about what's going on with you. There will be times where you will get embroiled and sidetracked to deal with problems that affect your family and friends, your siblings, maybe your children, right? But deal with them and always come back. Even while you're there, make that an opportunity to ask why. Ask why. Because if you can't change the what, at least make sure you're asking the why. Make sense? Excellent. Okay, let us take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have all acquired today by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem and chanting Pirit and listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha and be that by transliterating the sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds Fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery, to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, Fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, 
employers, employees, and to all those who helped us, supported us, and assisted us along the way. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahmans, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samudha Sasana. Let us transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, through the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation and to all those who lost their lives in the war, be they friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who lost their lives to natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, blizzards and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us all resolve that may to the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may, by the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's this, helped make this program a success, become an Arahatan Vahanse, an Arahateran in Vahanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad.